Support for this WXAV podcast is being provided by Bookies, new and used books. Located at 10324 Southwestern Avenue in Chicago, Bookies specializes in new and used books. Their selection includes new releases, bestsellers, and books that are out of print. For more information, please visit their website at bookieschicago.com. You can also find them on Facebook by searching Bookies Chicago or call them at 773-239-1110. This podcast is being brought to you by WXAV 88.3 FM and WXAV.com. WXAV, bringing the best podcasts to you. Hello, and welcome to this WXAV podcast. My name is Peter Creighton. You are about to hear a conversation I had recently with Toronto-based journalist David Sachs. Sachs is the author of The Revenge of Analog, Real Things and Why They Matter. In our wide-ranging conversation, Sachs discusses how he first began to notice that analog technologies were making a comeback, why analog technologies impact the human experience, and how college radio may play a role in analog's resurgence. If you are at all interested as to why vinyl records are making a massive comeback, this interview will help give you some of those answers. Here now, my interview with David Sachs. When did you first take notice that analog was kind of making a comeback? It was about, the whole thing started for me about 10 years ago. Um, when uh, I was living here in Toronto with a roommate and we had just kind of digitized all our CDs. I put them on iTunes, figured a way to stream them to the stereo, and then almost instantly stopped listening to music. Like It was really out of sight, out of mind. And then very shortly after that, um, my roommate's parents gave us their old turntable and a bunch of records. And, you know, we started listening to those records and kind of comparing them to often the same songs and the same records on, uh, you know, on MP3s. And the difference, not just sonically, but like in the way that we were listening to it and started noticing that more people, especially my contemporaries at the time, you know, people who were, I don't know, I guess 25, 26 at the time, were listening to records, were getting into turntables, were getting into, you know, film photography and, and vinyl uh, records and, and notebooks, um, and, and that there was something bigger that was sort of going on. And really, over the past decade, which is the exact same time that kind of the iPhone came out and, and sort of the, the, the smartphone era that we're living in really blew up, is when this started growing almost in parallel to that. Yeah, it's so interesting because mine is is similar in the fact that I started really buying records around this time too, uh, this like 10 years ago. It, it's really fascinating how this technology is almost parallel with the research, you know, the, the reemergence of vinyl, if you will. Um, yeah, and I think there's, there's a reason for that. And that's, you know, you didn't need to buy this stuff anymore. Um, you could, you know, starting 10 years ago and at stream music through different services, you know, Pandora at the time, um, Spotify started around then. And then increasingly, you know, through, through Spotify and its other competitors, uh, you could pretty much get anything you wanted musically for free on your phone at any time and sort of play it on any kind of Bluetooth speaker. And instead of sort of making people say, well, this is great. I don't need records anymore. I don't need these physical things. It's almost like, well, great. Now we can get all of this for free. So I'm going to now have the money and the freedom to go out and buy the records that I want. And also making people realize what they missed about physical music. 
um, that it wasn't just the sound, it was everything associated with that experience, going to record stores, spending time there. You know, it's a pleasurable experience shopping for records, not like buying, you know, paper towels and diapers. Uh, you know, having a collection, bringing people over, playing with it, that social aspect of it, right? All those things that people that, that are things that people were able to appreciate more um, once they were almost, you know, liberated from having to buy physical music. That's absolutely fascinating. Now, in your excellent book, it's called Revenge of, The Revenge of Analog, um, which is actually now in paperback. You do a really great job chronicling analog technology coming back. And part of your thesis in your introduction, if you allow me to quote for a moment, is you state, quote, we crave experiences that are more tactical and more human-centric. Do you think this is why analog technologies are making such a comeback? And then also, how do you see analog technologies kind of fulfilling those needs that you mentioned, that human-centric element, if you will? Well, yeah, I, I do think it is the, you know, analog technology is growing now and having this resurgence because it is, you know, everything your smartphone is in. And your smartphone and your computer can do all sorts of wonderful things and they're incredibly powerful. And everybody has one and everybody has access to the same things. Everybody can get a Facebook account, a Twitter account. You can sign up for Spotify, you can get on YouTube. I mean, you know, the barriers to entry are low. It's, it's basically free or very little cost, right? Something like Netflix is, I don't know, 10 bucks mm-hmm. a month. And and so, you know, everyone sort of has that. It's kind of common. And because of that, you're able to sort of see a new value to what the analog things are. You're able to appreciate them in a new way. And, and you know, a big part of that appreciation is that they are physical, that they don't live on your phone, that they slow things down, allow you to do things in a way that's completely different and provide sort of a, a balance, if you will, to the to the you know ubiquitousness of, of digital technology in the day to day. Um, and I think the the humanness and, and the tactileness, but also the human nature of it is a really big part of it. I mean board game cafes have grown tremendously in cities like Chicago, here in Toronto, all over the world. And um, and I think a big big part of that isn't that you know you can just play games there because you can play any sort of game with people all over the world on your phone or your computer you know your your Xbox. It's that it it is it is an excuse and an environment of face to face human interaction, which is something I think we're starved for, right? We're you know we're on social media all the time, but we're always feeling really alone. Um, we want those we crave real social, genuine human experiences. And when someone's able to deliver that, it's, it's wonderful. And I think analog technology is, is perfect for delivering that because it requires you to touch and feel and listen and be in a space with other people. Now, in your book, you mentioned you interviewed a wide variety of individuals, um, people that own vinyl record pressing uh, factories, uh, you mentioned earlier the uh, board game cafes that are coming back in, in Chicago and Toronto, people in Europe that are recreating Polaroids and film, and you've even spoke to educators um, about how analog technologies are kind of making this comeback in the classroom as well. As you've spoken to these individuals, has there been anything that they've told you that's kind of caught you by surprise that, at all? Well, especially in the education thing, I remember one expert who um, is at a a university here in Toronto um, and studies marketing, and and she said, you know, the ones, the people who are pushing for e-textbooks and and digital-only textbooks tend to be the older 
you know, baby boomer administrators um, who, who, you know, make the assumption that the students who are younger in their 20s and late teens, you know, all they want is, is digital interaction because that's what they sort of see them do. But she found, and, and there were studies, she had done studies to actually back this up, um, that, you know, it, it is the, the younger generations of students who see the value of textbooks and see the value of paper. And, and I went to schools from university campuses to, you know, primary schools and, and asked um, students and kids, you know, why do you like, do you prefer paper? Do you prefer reading electronically? What do you prefer? And the majority said they preferred paper for all the reasons that we know, right? It, I, I feel I can read it better. I can mark on it. I can I can flip over the pages. I can put post-it notes in it. I can underline it. It's mine. I understand it better. I remember it better, and so on. And I think we had this assumption that oh well, the younger people they grew up with digital. That's all they want. But they they see analog in, in this case in education sort of paper for its own merits because it works for them. And I think that's the thing. If we come at it from a place without this prejudgment, oh well, digital is better. That you know because it's newer and and that's what we want. Then we're able to approach it on its, its merits. And I think where a lot of schools and school districts have really made a mistake is sort of saying, we're going to revolutionize the school by giving every student a tablet and an iPad. That's the future. And then it completely blows up in their face. And they're like, what could have happened? Who could have foreseen this? Yeah. And it's so funny. I literally just got done with the lecture um, about 20 minutes before I called you. And uh, in that lecture, I can't tell you how many students had moleskin notebooks that they were taking their right. notes in. Because there is something that works about taking notes in, in paper. And yes, you can take notes on a laptop, but it doesn't work in the same way. Um, I think that is, you know, again, speaks more to human nature and how we interact with the world than, than the superiority of one technology over another. In your opinion, is there one piece of analog technology that's making a comeback that has kind of like surprised you? Um, like when I read that tapes, yeah, cassette, yeah, cassette. I don't understand the cassette tapes coming back, right? And and I think partly it's it is, from my understanding, a byproduct of the vinyl boom. That the vinyl boom has gotten so big, and the price of not only buying but producing and getting a record made and and the wait times for it has grown so high and and, and such a long delay that young musicians and bands who want to sort of give something to their fans, who want something to sell at their shows or, you know, see their music in a physical medium, have said, all right, well, why not tapes, right? So like punk bands, you know, tape is punk. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and, and tape is, you know, really indie. And I think that um, it's a really interesting thing, right? It, it's, again, it's sort of vinyl illuminated the, the benefits of analog music. And so a lot of people say, well, hey, well, what about tapes, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, um, you currently uh, work in the media. You're a journalist in that. Uh, how do you see analog maybe influencing or maybe even to a degree improving um, the, the field of, of broadcasting or, or journalism? Is, it, is analog even having an impact in, in that area? Well, I think it, I think it always has. And, it, and I think now it is a question of sort of credibility, right? I, I find the most credible publications out there. Um, are the ones that are tied to some analog form of media. So whether it's, you know, a, a newspaper like the Washington Post or the New York Times um, or, you know, a, a magazine like the New Yorker or Wired or, um, you know, Business Week, you know, if, if, it is, if it is rooted in something that's physical and real, there's, 
there's an economics of it there, but there's also kind of a, um, a I guess a, a measure of quality. And and I think it's different. But you know, someone like BuzzFeed does fantastic journalism and fantastic work, but it's still best known for like cat lists and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't detract from the investigative journalism they do. I think it's just it is it is somewhat different. In the same sense, there's a trillions of wonderful podcasts out there, but you know, the NPR stations and even the podcasts produced by NPR stations are are still, you know, heads and shoulders, the king of the medium. And that's because not only do they have to appeal to the people who download them specifically, they have to appeal to anyone who just turns it on at any time. And because of that, they they acquire a certain balance and professionalism and tone that that makes them sort of stand above the rest. How do you see analog and digital coexisting together? Well, I mean, that is the reality of the world that we live in, right? We, you know, you can read books and buy records, and then you're still on your phone emailing people, texting them, you know, previewing songs that you want to listen to on Spotify while you're in the car. Um, I think that's sort of the future. And I think the digital companies are the ones that are realizing that. You know, you see Amazon uh, opening up bookstores, buying Whole Foods, and, and entering the brick and mortar retail market. They're not doing it to kill brick and mortar, they're doing it because they know. There is actually a value there, and there's that, that digital is, is just one piece of the puzzle. It is not everything. It's not the be-all and end-all. Now, as I mentioned before, I work at a, a college here in Chicago, and I oversee a college radio station. How do you see college radio you know, involved in this great analog re- resurgence and everything? Because colleges especially college radio has always kind of been like, you know, on, on the ahead of the trend, you know, if it happens in college radio, it'll hit the mainstream, you know, a few months or a couple of years down the line. How do you see college radio stations playing uh, a role in this trend? Do they, or do they not? What, what, what do you think? It's interesting. No one has ever, um, no one's ever asked me that before. Probably because this is the second interview I've only done with a college station. Um, but I think the key with, with that is, you know, they are, they are a model for, for community-based media. And I think a lot of where you're seeing a growth of analog media for, you know, is community newspapers, community magazines, um, community radio stations. You know, the good thing about digital is you are able to do things on a small scale and that it's economical. You can now make a magazine or a newspaper that looks really professional and send it out for a few hundred or thousand people. Um, you can you can have a small community radio station that works, and whether you broadcast it online or as a podcast or you know terrestrially, you're able to sort of link that up. Um, uh, and I think that's that's really important. I think it's it is you know a way that uh, those college stations are able to sort of keep rooted in that. Um, as well as, you know, having the voice of a specific community and, uh, you know, playing some good records. Yeah. That's, that's the most <laughs> important part, too, right? Absolutely. Well, that's actually a perfect segue into uh, a fun question. Um, what are three records, in your opinion, that everyone needs to hear uh, as a vinyl record? Three that everyone needs to hear? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, uh, now i got to think of something Chicago-y specifically. Um, okay, Bad, Bad, Not Good, which is a Toronto jazz instru- hip-hop instrumental band playing with Ghostface Killer from Wu-Tang Clan. The album is called Sour Soul. It is instrumental hip-hop that just sounds absolutely incredible. I would say Bill Withers' Adjustments is 
just one of the all-time greatest sort of, let's say, troubadour soul records. And then, oh, what's something properly Chicago that I got to think of? I mean, Wilco, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Oh, excellent choice there. So I have one final question for you. Do you have any advice for uh, a college student who's looking to become a, a broadcaster or a journalist or even an educator in that how would you encourage them to interact with analog technology? I, I think, you know, try it out, right? See what works for you. Don't be afraid of it. Um, so, you know, go to a friend's house who has a turntable and play records and see if you like it. Try taking notes in a notebook, maybe not for all your classes, but for some of them, or just use it for brainstorming. You know, take a camera out if you want to be a photographer and try a film camera once or twice and see what works, right? Test those tools because they're there. And even though it's not the newest technology, for what you're doing, it may be the best technology. And that was my interview with David Sachs. For more information on Sachs, you can follow him on Twitter at SachsDavid. That's S-A-X-D-A-V-I-D. The Revenge of Analog, Real Things and Why They Matter is currently available. I'm Peter Kreitzen, and thank you so much for joining me. This is a WXAV 88.3 FM podcast. WXAV, your escape from ordinary radio. Thank you very much for listening to this WXAV 88.3 FM podcast. Be sure to visit our website, wxav.com, for more information on your escape from ordinary radio.